And the only reason we're doing this is because we were waiting for our incumbent to, to meet our needs and they weren't doing it because according to them, we weren't big enough. We're doing this not to connect the community, but to provide a, a good opportunity for anyone who's in that business to connect the community and just use our assets at a reasonable, fair cost. Hello and welcome to episode 163 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Lisa Gonzalez from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Tim Miles, Technology Director at Steamboat Springs and South Route School Districts, talks with Chris in this episode. Steamboat Springs is a resort community that's invested in an innovative way to make connectivity more affordable and more reliable. Several local anchor institutions have collaborated to develop a carrier-neutral location, a place where providers connect to each other's networks to bring outside internet to their customers. Steamboat Springs Carrier Neutral Location has resulted in significant savings for the school district and other anchor institutions, and Tim explains in the interview exactly how. This resource has also created redundancy and reliability that did not previously exist. Tom describes how past failures from private providers caused millions of dollars of damage to the local economy, and how the carrier neutral location has all but ended such catastrophic failures. In fact, the carrier neutral location has opened up new opportunities for Steamboat Springs. Now here are Tom and Chris. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. Today I'm speaking with Tim Miles, the Technology Director at Steamboat Springs and South Route School Districts. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So I first learned about Steamboat Springs, I think it was maybe a press release or perhaps it was last year at Mountain Connect in Colorado. And um, and you're doing this really interesting carrier neutral facility uh, investment. But I think what I want to start with is asking you, you know, tell us a little bit about Steamboat Springs and, and how uh, it's known to the world. How it's known for the world, I guess it's really known for its powder skiing and tree skiing. We have really excellent tree skiing here. But more than that, we're a destination resort. Our schools are ranked in the, in the top five in the state. Um, it's great recreation and uh, ranching facility community. So what, how I ended up here was they I got told was that uh, the ski mountain could go away and Steamboat would still stay as a vibrant town. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's what I got told. Well, I've heard it's incredibly beautiful, so I can imagine that people would still want to just come and, and watch and look around. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a plateau valley they call it. It's a really high altitude valley, so it's really lush and green. So in our world, uh, I think it's really interesting that uh, you've decided to do a carrier neutral approach. And we've talked to, about this kind of approach a little bit in the past uh, with um, Hunter Newby, who runs Allied Fiber and has told us a lot about what he's doing. Uh, but maybe for people who missed that show, you can remind us what's a carrier neutral location. So the carrier neutral location is if, if, if you want to choose Comcast at your house, then um, you have to pay their rates and they get to charge rent or maybe they choose not to pay rent on that and that distance for your line. And if you want to do, do another carrier, it's the same thing. So it's it's really based upon how well you are as a negotiator. And so a carrier neutral location is all, we have all those vendors in one room. And um, so if you can get connected to that room, then you pay the aggregated rate that we've negotiated on there. So we pay that rent once. So the more people you get served from that room, the less the cost for everybody. And any carrier can be in that room. 
I often think of it in terms of, um, and I don't know if this is, maybe I'm thinking of it more nefariously than it has to be, but I often think, you know, you have the established providers and they want to do everything they can to lock out the competition. And and I think of the carrier neutral facility as a way that you can basically build it and then have unlimited competition. You know, however many people can fit in that room basically can all be competitors. Correct. So in our case, we have a, um, a carrier in that room that runs over two carriers. So the, we don't have to deal directly with each carrier. We just have to deal with that one carrier, and then he can go one direction over one carrier and another carrier direction over another carrier, which gives us redundancy. We don't have to deal, negotiate with each vendor individually because one of the vendors chose not to serve that room. Although he's serving it for the school district's needs, he won't serve it for the vendor-neutral idea. And that was the incumbent who had control of this market. This is something that it seems to me was uh, mainly, um, from what I can tell, the, the the largest benefits that were known about in advance was that it would benefit the schools and the, the county. Um, explain a little bit more about how that's the case. Well, the school had the need. We had the need, um, just like the, the large school districts down in, in, the, in the urban areas. But our, our costs were 10 times higher than them. So when they were $10 per meg for Internet, we were $100 per meg. So they were getting a gig of Internet while I was getting 45 megs for the same cost, roughly. And so when we started coming together, I didn't have the political power to negotiate with these people, even though I had the need of them the political power. So I approached the city and the county and asked if they would want to partner and share Internet. And they said, sure. And so once the city and the county and I started sitting down at the table with that same provider there, I got their attention because the city and the county um, get that where I don't on the, from the political side. Just those three are, the, are getting the service from that room today. However, us having that room has lowered the price for everybody, but we're expanding that room to include our other core members, which is the Yampa Valley Electric Association, as well as the Yampa Valley Medical Center, which is the hospital, and the community college uh, Colorado Mountain Community College. So we're all the anchor institutions. What what does a room like that really require? When you say expanding it, I mean, do you have to like knock down walls and, and make it bigger? or what? what uh, maybe you can start off by telling us what it was like and what you have to do to expand it. It was an old boiler room. And basically we chose my facility because it was the closest to the CenturyLink central office. And the way I understand it by law, with the current laws that are on the table now, any minimal provider has to drop off their location, drop off at the central office location of the incumbent, which is CenturyLink in this case. So I was the closest to that. So what we ended up doing, the room doesn't really need that much. And if you walk in the room, you're going to be rather overwhelmed or underwhelmed because it doesn't take much to run the Internet. It's just basically a switch. And that's it. But they'll have you believe there's a huge cost to it, but there really isn't. And so what we ended up doing was we took over a room that was an abandoned room here in, in my facility. It was an old boiler room, and we put a new floor in and took out all the old dirty stuff and made it a computer room, and it has five vendor-neutral cages in it. We made fiber connections from that room all the way down to the CenturyLink central offices. Um, so now we have a direct connection to that central office, so there's, there's no bottleneck from the Internet to us anymore. And it can free flow right through CenturyLink and right to us, or we can get it from CenturyLink if we chose. That's the better route on, on negotiations. But uh, currently it, throws, it flows through them right to us. And we have cages that any vendor can put their own stuff in it and lock it up and feel safe at night when they go home that no one can get into their stuff. And that's currently how it's 
sits right now. So I use the, the part of that room for my computer room for the school district, and then the cages are rented out, as well as that fiber is rented out per the mile, regardless of what you do with it or how much speed you want to put over it. It's your fiber if you rent it. So we have Mammoth Networks in that room today, EagleNet in that room today. This company called Phones West is in that room. We're piloting with another company who does international um, video conferencing. So they were having to travel to Denver. Now they don't have to travel, and now they get to sit right on the head of the Internet, in theory. They're providing their services out of that room. And when I say expanded to add the city and the county, all it is is how can they connect their wires that they own from this room to their facilities. So when you were thinking about how to solve your problem of paying so much more than, than your other the other school districts around the state, what did you look at? Did, did, was there another community that inspired you, or was it just something that, that you thought, well, this is the obvious solution? I really went to the city and the county because they had the political power, and what I wanted to, to, to get was, is could we share that rent times one? So, like I said, if there's three entities getting internet from CenturyLink, they get to charge rent on those lines. Even though I've already paid rent on that line, then the city has to pay rent on it as well in the county, and, and I've already paid rent, so they've already getting paid for that line in the ground Well, they can charge each one of us the same rent. So how I approached it was, could we share that? If we share that internet and we all share that one line coming in, then we split it up between us. Then we only had to share, pay that rent once. And then we all split the cost. And that's currently what started it. And right around that same time, the office of information technology from the state started talking about these collaborative ideas started. I just simply did it because of sheer cost, I want to get my cost down. I want to add value for the same amount of money. And is this basically just peering and, and aggregating demand and that sort of thing? Or is, there, is, is, is that not adequate to explain what you're doing? It's exactly that, but in a rural area. It's exactly that. So it's no different than those big carrier hotels that they have down around the country that's strategically placed for this, these internet connections, where these carriers all get to jump on each other's network and, and, and uh, interconnect. It's just that, but it's in the rural area. Okay. And so it's based on our need, not on the carrier's need. It's based on the client's need, not on the carrier's need. So as I was doing a little bit of research on what you're doing, I found uh, references to the Northwest Colorado Broadband Co-op. Um, does yep. that tie into this at all? It does. We had to form that company um, to get around Senate Bill 152, which basically uh, states that local governments are not allowed to get into the telecom business, either via voice or data. And um, so to get around that, we formed Northwest Color Broadband, and the only real um, legal entity of that is the Chamber of Commerce. And so they run Northwest Color Broadband. We're all members. Um, we buy our services from that cooperative, and that gets us around Senate Bill 152 because we're all local governments, the school district, the city, and the county. I find it interesting that you, you've come back a couple of times to the need to, to work with the, uh, the county and, and other entities. Uh, when we recently had a podcast interview with Seth Mobley up in Rio Blanco, uh, he was saying that that was incredibly important. And and I'm always just curious, was there has there been tension in terms of the school district working with the county, working with the chamber? I mean, a lot of times, particularly in smaller towns, uh, we find a lot of tension between different levels of, of government and other entities. There was. Basically, that's what took too long for us to get started because we talked about it for, I want to say three years, but it might have been just a little over two years before we actually did anything about it. And that's what we had to get used to is we had to focus on the greater good, not on the 
immediate need for any one entity. So how I look at it, and it hasn't gone this way, is what I would like us to see is each one of us each year commit a certain amount of money. In my mind, it should be like $50,000 towards broadband. And then one entity gets all of that money. We prioritize that. And how I envision it is one entity gets all that money for year one, another entity gets that money for year two. But then after a few years of that, you're going to have this great big spider web of a network that's all of ours at equal cost. And then there's not these IRUs going back and forth of, well, you only paid for a quarter of a mile of it, and I paid for three quarters of a mile. And that's going to get away from all of that. That's how I would like this to be seen. And the new chamber president said it's excellent because he's he's worked with a lot of different governments in his previous chamber jobs in other areas of the, of the nation. And he said, governments don't work as well as what you guys are working up here traditionally together. So I, I think that leads to me to the question of of the chambers involved with this. Is this something that's going to benefit businesses or is the chamber just really focused on making sure that the schools and the counties are operating efficiently? No, our goal is to help businesses or anyone. But the reason that it's small right now with just us anchor institutions is because of that Senate Bill 152. And also because if you're a business, you have to, we have to prove ourselves, or I would if I was a business owner, I wouldn't get into business with anyone if they're not proven to be sustainable. And so we did start with the local ISPs as well, but they're kind of no different than really any internet provider, middle mile or last mile. Is They kind of want to control the market. Their business model is different than my business model as a, as a local government. That's partially why it took a little while to get started because we had them at the table as well, but their needs were different than our needs. And so we just pushed them aside temporarily so that we could build this room, get the demand um, but amongst ourselves, prove ourselves reliable, and now we'll go back out to um, the community and ask businesses, do they want to benefit from this? And it could be from those ISPs because if I can lower those ISPs' middle mile costs, they can either add more network or lower their costs to their clients, which is our clients, the, the community itself. And when you talk about a spider web of of network, ultimately, do you envision, uh, is the vision that you would ultimately have a connection to every home, every business, every basic building in the area? Or is uh, is it more limited than that? We're envisioning right now, at least, going from owning the trunk line, this Northwest Colorado Broadband, creating a trunk line here over this next year that would go from one end of town to the other end of town. And it would swing through the town a little bit to, to connect these anchor institutions that need connection. We all have day jobs. And the only reason we're doing this is because we were waiting for our incumbent to, to meet our needs, and they weren't doing it because, according to them, we weren't big enough. We're doing this not to connect the community, but to provide a, a good opportunity for anyone who's in that business to connect the community and just use our assets at a reasonable, fair cost. So in that same project that I, that I was mentioned that we're going to create this trunk line, we've also committed us entities, the you know, Valley Electric, the Collie, Mountain College, the hospital, the city and the county. We're all adding different laterals off of that trunk line to connect our own facilities. But the whole thing, the laterals and uh, that trunk line at the end of the day will be, be able to be used by all of us and or our customers to come in the future. And so I think one of the things that people think about when you talk about these sorts of upgrades and internet capacity is they want to think faster speeds, faster speeds. Uh, but one of the things that it seems that you've had to deal with is reliability issues. And right. I'm wondering if you can just tell us how does this help with that? Have you had major reliability problems prior? Yes. The first one was the cost. 
So that was directly related to speed. And so I couldn't afford uh, the bandwidth I needed, so I was using it all. So we got that lowered so it's more affordable and that we've solved that problem. And then the next is redundancy. So by bringing that multiple carriers in, and right now I said we have one, EagleNet and, and um, CenturyLink. CenturyLink rides up from the east, so they come up through Dillon, Silverthorne, and head north from there, and that's the main road to get into Steamboat. The alternate road to get to Steamboat is from the west, and that goes down through Rifle, Colorado, and up through Meeker, and then it comes around that way from the west. So by bringing this carrier, this Mammoth Networks in, they ride two different networks. They they ride CenturyLink for us. We pay for that redundant connection, and they also ride EagleNet to the west. And we've had to use that redundant path three times since we lit it up. Um, so we've had the main carrier has gone down three different times. The last time, just a few weeks ago, for many, 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 many hours. It was close to a whole day, um, a working day, like eight hours, um, that they went down, and us that were connected from my room, we all survived because we all went west, and we didn't even feel a blip. But everybody else in the town went down hard, the banks, the hospital, other businesses. There was a huge cattle sale going on that was, was going to generate $300 million over the, over the sale of all the cattle. Well, luckily, they got back up a different way, but um, it was, they were scrambling. The sale was in jeopardy. I saw that there was some estimates that um, the cost of, of outage in Steamboat, um, based on a 2011 outage that you had, um, could be anywhere from a million dollars an hour to a million dollars uh, for eight hours, depending on the time of year and the tourist season. Yep. Um, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, we have a lot of influential people who like to come here either with, on vacations, and then while they're here, they, they, do, they continue to do business as well. And that example I gave you of that company that's doing that does that international um, um, video conferencing. These big international companies um, typically have a rule on the books that their executives have to video conference so many hours before they're allowed to physically get on a plane and travel to keep costs under control. And that's what this guy does. He sets up those things for him. And he wasn't able to do that on a steamboat before until just since we've built this room. He couldn't find a reliable, redundant connection that he could afford at a regional price and, and was reliable. He just couldn't do it. So he was charging all his clients to drive down Denver. And there's lots of those kind of people here in town. I just had a good conversation with a guy who does this exact business for Cisco, but on the European side, but on these big peer, peer hotels that you were mentioning. And he was really fascinated that I've kind of solved this rural kind of problem in the rural areas by doing the smaller scales of those carrier hotels, basically. Right. Well, it's something that I would love to see because I think that's the goal of the Internet. You know, the Internet shouldn't be something that we allow to basically um, have to pass through the, the sort of the Comcast centralized network or the CenturyLink network where, you know, it basically follows whatever path they choose to take it. Ideally, the right. Internet should be able to ping around from, you know, your room to a room in western Minnesota to, you know, wherever. Yes. We're between Interstate 70 and Interstate 80. And there's only a few connections that actually join those two major interstates. And those two interstates cover a large portion of the country. And so um, we're very attractive if we can prove ourselves sustainable to other large nationwide carriers to come down and make that connection to us. Because we've already got the connection to I-70, so they're already, they're already halfway there to I-70. So now they just need to find do that other half, and now they've got a redundant line between those two major interstates. That would be my goal. It's not just have a redundant connection to the Denver internet connection, 
but have it be done in a connection to Salt Lake City, which eventually goes to L.A. and those kind of places. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's a it's a technical topic, but I, I think it's one of those things that people should understand that there are these outside-the-box solutions that can really make a big difference. We stood up that room for under $200,000. We stood up the room that was building it, bearing the fiber to that room to give us that the control of that fiber so no one entity controlled it um, of these carriers. So it was relatively inexpensive. And then so our ROI on investment was within a, within a couple of years amongst all of us. So it was, it was a no-brainer. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Chris. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at CommunityNets. You can also follow us on Facebook. Search for Community Broadband Networks. Once again, we want to thank BKFM B-Side for their song, Raise Your Hands, licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks again for listening. Music